I, uh, I have a hot take that's probably going to impact the way that you feel about me going forward. So there's kind of this moment as a, like a demarcation point because it will probably affect your opinion of me once I say this thing that I strongly believe. For me, maybe not for you, for me, I think National Treasure is a perfect movie. <laughs> the one, yes, that's the one, yes, uh, with Nicolas Cage. I think National Treasure is a perfect movie. It has everything in a movie that I look for. There is excitement, there's adventure, there's action, there's betrayal, there's love. And then there's like this thread of like conspiracy through the whole thing, which just really kind of gets me going because I love a good conspiracy story. But most importantly, it's a treasure hunt. And from the moment I was a little kid, I have always loved stories of treasure hunts. There's something exciting, anticipatory about this idea that there is something out there that if you could just navigate the map and turn the dial and figure out and discern the clues that you could get the treasure. I don't know if you like treasure hunt stories. There's like a cousin of treasure hunt stories, which are bank robbery stories. There's less mystery, but it's kind of like, are they going to be able to figure out how to get the money that's in the bank, like the Ocean series, great movies. Um, I don't know what it says about a pastor who loves movies about people stealing things, but I love it. I love it, I love it, I love it. It makes me, like, I get so, if I could watch any movie, I, now I'm starting to detour, but if I could watch any movie, it would be a story about either a treasure hunt or somebody stealing something from somebody else. Uh, where was I going with that? No, uh, this morning, we're going to be talking about treasure. And the reason that I bring up National Treasure is because I think our lives, similar to the movie and similar to all of the other stories about treasure hunting, I think our lives actually bear a lot of similarities to treasure hunting. There is something we value. There's something that we believe that if we could gain would make our lives more significant, more meaningful, more whatever, fill in the blank. And then we spend our lives kind of in pursuit of those things. This is why when you buy the lotto ticket for the $1.5 billion jackpot, you start to have all of the conversations about, well, how would you spend your you know, cash out of you know, $600 million? And we start to like dream and think about all that our life would look different than all of the things that we could do that we can't currently do if we could just get the jackpot or the treasure or the weather. It's not just financial, but this morning we're going to look at a long passage of scripture, so buckle up, uh, but we're going to move through it pretty quick. It's a passage that you have likely heard about or heard before, uh, and some of these words are going to look really familiar, but I just want you to keep kind of that treasure hunting mentality in your brains and start to use it as a lens to look at your own life. So we are jumping into a passage of scripture that is called the Sermon on the Mount, and this is kind of Jesus's magnus opus outside of the resurrection, but in terms of his teaching, this is kind of Jesus's magnum opus. And what he is doing in this three chapters, particularly in the Gospel of Matthew, is he is giving you kind of the playbook for how to live a great life. If you want to know how to live and to live well, to live as God has intended, read the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, chapters 5, 6, and 7. We're jumping right into the middle of it. So we're skipping a bunch, and we're not going to get to the rest, but we're jumping right into the middle of it because I think... And this is why it matters for us today and in the context of this larger series. I think this is the key to unlocking how to live generously in our own lives. 
Now, we are in the middle of a series called Overflow because we want to rediscover what real generosity looks like. And what we have said for the last couple of weeks is everywhere in the world talks about money aplenty. Nowhere will you find that they talk about generosity and how to be generous and what that looks like in your life. And our hope is that we would be generous people and this would be a generous church in all of the ways and in all of the categories. And so if we don't talk about it, there's no way for us to figure out what it looks like to be generous people. So let's jump into Matthew chapter 6. You can open your Bibles or your phones if you promise to stay focused on the scripture. No social media, no grocery lists. Here we go. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. This is Jesus. He says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. He says, Listen, if you're going to store up treasure, don't store up this kind of treasure. Don't store up earthly treasure because there's an inevitability to earthly treasure that eventually it's going to go away. And he goes on, he says, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Now, what I want us to pay attention to is the assumption that Jesus is making that we're going to store up treasure. I think that is a function of every human that we accumulate and try to acquire treasure. From the moment that you were a little kid, you had the little cubby in your room or the drawer or the little chest and you put little trinkets and knickknacks and things in there because you valued them disproportionate to everything else, right? You had this little thing and this was your space and your stuff and you loved it. Maybe it was a stuffed animal, maybe it was a toy or an action figure, but you had these things that meant something to you and you valued them far and above everything else in your life because they were these like special treasures in your life. As we get older, the treasure seeking and the treasure keeping doesn't change. The only thing that changes is what are the things that we're putting into our, tre our treasure chest? What are the things that we're valuing? And this is beyond just financial things because we all value something. You can look at people who have kind of lost the will to live, who are totally kind of despondent in life, and one of the things that you will find about every single one of them is nothing holds any like, meaning or value or significance anymore. You know, it's kind of one of those indications that you need to pay attention to somebody when they're no longer participating in the things that they used to participate in, when they're starting to give away their stuff, right? This is one of those indications that they have kind of started to go against typical human nature where we love our treasures and we love to gain and to keep treasure. Jesus says, you're going to store up treasure. But the kind of treasure that you store up is really, really important. And for the rest of this morning, Jesus is going to tell us why the treasure that we store up matters so much. He goes on. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, I know you've been waiting for this moment. Since the moment you walked in this morning, you were wondering what is underneath this black uh, sheet. And I'm going to show you. Because some of you have this in your life and in your home, but we all have this in our hearts. So the drummer's off the stage, so there's no drum roll. But our lives 
at the very core of our life and the very core of our heart, we have a safe. And what we put in this safe makes us feel safe. The more that we have and the more that we can put in here of the things that we value and the things that matter to us, the more secure that we feel in our lives. Now, in a physical safe like this, you would imagine that you would put very tangible material things in there, right? Jewelry, money, credit cards, passports, things of that nature, things that you don't want anybody else to take. And that's true in our actual lives. But in our hearts, we have things that we try to acquire and we try to gain more of because if we can fill up our safes in our hearts, then our lives are more secure. For some of us, our entire lives, we have been chasing social approval. That's the thing that we value more than anything else. If you could open up the treasure chest in our hearts, that's all the little trinkets that would represent all of the social approval that we seek. Because we know, or we believe, that if we could just get enough social approval, if certain people in our lives, or all of the people in our lives, or even people that we don't know, could approve of us, well then, then we'd be okay. Then we, our future would be secure. We'd be both safe and secure in this moment, but in all future moments. It's kind of this guarantee of the outcome of our life, that if we can just get enough, and maybe it's not social approval. For you, maybe it's just success. You want to know that you've made something of yourself. You want to climb the corporate ladder. You want to grow and sell companies. You want the, the significance that comes with being successful. And for you, if you can just get high enough and build enough and do enough and achieve enough, for you, that's what you fill your treasure chest with because that's what you value more than anything else. Others of you, for some of us, it's just kind of material security and comfort. We want a nice enough house in a nice enough neighborhood with nice enough stuff so that we have some external sense of security and comfort that our lives are going to be okay. For others of you, it's money in a bank account or an investment portfolio or a retirement account, and you know that if you've got enough digits and commas represented on the screen, the future is going to be okay. Others of you, it's a relationship or relationships. If you can find the one, the person, that person who completes you, you've watched Jerry Maguire a hundred times and you're just searching for that person who's going to make everything else and all of the hurt and the wrongs in your life, it's going to absolve all of that because you know that if you can have that kind of a relationship, then you'll, you, you'll do anything to make sure that they don't leave. We spend our lives searching for this treasure. And Jesus says, the treasure that you search after and that you seek after matters because where your treasure is, there your heart is. And the connection between your treasure and your heart is because it is the thing that dictates and determines where your life goes. You see, the heart in Scripture is the command center of our lives. It's the thing that determines your priorities and your values and your choices and your decisions and how you spend the efforts and energies of your life and so what Jesus is telling us is your treasure matters because the rest of your life will follow whatever treasure that you hold highest and most ultimate. That's where, that's the kind of the treasure hunt that you'll be after, whatever it is that's most valuable to you. And he goes on. 
And he says, in the same way that your heart determines where your life goes and the treasure determines where your heart goes, he uses a different metaphor. And he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. Now, for some of us, we're trying to get into the medical sense of what this means. And really, in the early understanding of these words, it's really uh, how you view the world. And there's this tone and this undercurrent of generosity hidden in this. It says, if your eyes are healthy, if you see the world from a place of abundance and of generosity, then your whole body will be full of light. It informs and it impacts how you live and interact and experience the world. When you see the world as everything is good and there's enough of everything and I'm not living from a place of scarcity and I'm not always trying to acquire more and more and stuff it in here and then lock it tight so that I can make sure that I have enough. When you live from a place of abundance, you're able to be generous and open-handed. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. You can live like this because you're not worried about somebody coming around and taking it from you. And then he contrasts it and he says, but if your eyes are unhealthy, if you have this scarcity mentality, if you are stingy and constantly observing and watching out for somebody who might take what you have or trying to protect what you have because you don't want it to go away or disappear or some, you live in fear because of all of the ways that the world is imperfect and broken and you're worried about something happening in the world that will harm and impact the treasure that you hold so valuable. He says, if you live that way, then your body's going to be full of darkness. There's not much life in that way of living. And if the light within you is dark, how great is the darkness? And then he goes on and he says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And for some of us, we kind of bristle against this because you know, we have some amount of material possessions or wealth or security in our life or social approval or whatever, success, whatever it may be. And also we come to church and we love God and we're like, I don't, this doesn't compute for me. This is kind of the part in Jesus' teaching that seems to break down for us because we feel like we can have both. A couple years ago, I was uh, with my best friend and I was with his family and we were staying in, in the mountains in Georgia alongside this stream. We had this cool house that overlooked this stream. And so our plan was going to be like every morning we kind of get up and do breakfast. And then we would launch some inner tubes into the stream and just kind of small white water, like not real stuff. You could stand up at any point in the stream, but kind of hop in that and float down the stream and walk back and do this over and over and over again. Just kind of do loops. And his daughter at the time was like three and a half. And she loved nothing more than sitting in the gravel between the house and the stream, picking up uh, rocks that she called tristles, which I think meant crystals, but she thought they were tristles. And these were special and wonderful to her. And so she sat in the dirt, in the gravel, picking up all of these tristles. And so when it came time for us to go kind of raft down the stream, we were like Genevieve. Are you going to come with us? And you could see this point of dilemma because she had her shirt and then this pile of rocks, her trystals, in her shirt. And she was like at this fork in the road and she didn't know what to do. And you could kind of see her wheels spinning and you could see kind of her being pulled in both places because she wanted to come with us because that seemed really fun and like a really awesome adventure. But all of her trystals, which of course were just rocks. 
and they weren't even real crystals. And it was like, just put, you know, but they mattered to her. They were valuable to her. That was her treasure, at least in that moment, in that point in time. And she, she really struggled to let go of that, to go and participate in this. And this is the same thing Jesus is telling us. There is an adventure. There is a life that God has for you. There is a fullness and a richness and a depth and a meaning of life here and now. But if you were so busy collecting your crystals and trying to get more of them so that you have as much as you could possibly handle, you're not going to be able to go on the adventure. You're not going to be able to hop into the raft. You're going to be on the sidelines and in the gravel collecting more and more crystals that are actually just a bunch of rocks. So this is what he says. He says, you cannot serve both God and mammon. And sometimes this word mammon gets translated as money. And so we only look at this passage of scripture from a financial sense. But really what this word means is that which you put your trust in, that which you treasure. Because this is ultimately the dilemma. What are you trusting your life to? What are you committing your life to? Where are you spending your time and your energy? What are you dedicating that to? Is it in service to God? Are you going to keep picking up more gravel? Because at some point you'll have to choose. At some point you're required to make choices. We all know what this looks like. We all have moments where we have made lots of good commitments in our lives. And then at some point, our commitments start to compete with one another. And we have to choose. We cannot go to all of the social invitations that we've received. We can't be at all of the functions. We can't make all of the practices or show up for all of the games or get all of the kids to all of the places that have all been scheduled all at the same hour. Why? We don't know why. Right? Because at some point, our commitments compete. And unless you've prioritized those, you're stuck. You're, you've got a shirt full of gravel, and you want to hop on the raft, and you don't know what to do. So Jesus is saying, you have to make a choice what you're going to treasure most. Because what you treasure most determines where you're going to spend your life what you're going to spend your life chasing after. And then he keeps going. And he says, if you choose a shirt full of gravel, if you choose to treasure and value all of the things of this life and of this world, here's what happens next. You're going to spend your life worrying, anxious, distracted and conflicted and torn, trying to catch and carry all of the things. He says, therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body or what you will wear. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothes? And in this passage, Jesus is trying to address the primary concerns of the day and age. For us, we'd probably have a different list. It would probably look like social approval and success security, comfort in the ways that we measure. But ultimately what Jesus is saying is if you spend your life worried about all of the things that everybody else tells you you should worry about, it's going to end badly for you. Your life is going to miss out on the grand adventure that God has for you. He goes on. 
And he kind of starts to create some compare and contrast. He says, look at the birds of the air. And ultimately, in the grand scheme of nature, for all of the bird lovers here, don't send me emails, but in the grand scheme of nature, Jesus is saying, listen, the birds are pretty insignificant. He says, but look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. They're okay. They're safe. Just like we're safe in this life. And that's a hard message to believe. And that's a hard message to trust, that we're okay. Because everywhere you turn, all of your news outlets and all of your ad agencies, if you believe you're okay, then they can't get you to do what they want you to do. And I know you're like, that's the conspiracy thing from the National Treasure. Trust me on this. I'm not wrong. I'm wrong about a lot. I'm not wrong on this. They are constantly priming your sense of fear, anxiety, anger, and shame to make you believe you're not okay right here and right now in this life so that you will do what they want you to do, so that you will buy what they want you to buy, so that you will become and vote in whatever it may be the way that they want you to. It is not in your best interest. I promise you that. And Jesus is saying, listen, you can go that way, but it's only going to be more worry and more anxiety and more chasing. Or you can look at what God is doing in the world and realize that you're okay in this life, just like the birds are. He says, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? If the birds are okay, then we're okay. And goes on. Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And it's a rhetorical question. The answer is obviously no. It's like that old, I don't know if they say this everywhere. They say this in Wichita Falls. Worrying is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it doesn't get you anywhere. Right? This is, this is essentially what Jesus is saying here. Like you can worry, but like you're not going anywhere with it. It doesn't add any time to your life. And so he says, he continues on. He says, so, so then why are you worrying about your clothes? If you're not worried about, don't worry about your own like health and security. Don't worry about your appearance. How much time we spend worried about how we present to other people, whether it's physically or relationally or emotionally. How much time and energy goes into the makeup of our appearance? I, chief of all sinners, like I'm going to own that one. Like I could spend a lot of time, too much time worried about this. My guess is I have friends here today. She said, listen, why are you worried about that stuff? Why do you think that actually moves the needle on the quality and the meaning of your life? Why would you buy into that belief? He says, see how the flowers of the field grow? They don't labor or spin. He goes on and he says, yet I tell you, not even Solomon the richest person who ever lived, and all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. He's like, the flowers don't worry, and they're more beautiful than you could ever be. And so why would you worry about your appearance, about spending effort and energy chasing after that, as if that treasure was going to make everything in your life better? If you could finally look a certain way or have a certain wardrobe or a certain physique or... So 
You're wasting it. And he goes on, he says, that is how God had clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire. Will he not much more clothe you? You little faiths. And what's interesting about this phrase, little faiths, is it's kind of like he's poking, teasing the disciples who are listening to this. It's a phrase that only Jesus uses. You won't find it anywhere else in scripture except when Jesus uses it in the gospels. But what he's doing here by calling people little faiths is he's identifying the primary dynamic in this whole thing. And that's this. What do you trust? Not just what do you believe in, what do you hold from some intellectual ascent, but what are you trusting your life to? When you think about all of the ways that you spend all of your time and efforts and energies, all of the things you get worked up about or you feel anxious or tense about, is it because you actually have treasure that's trusting in something else? Are you putting your trust in whatever it is that you can fit into this in your heart? Or are you trusting God? This is the choice for us. Because what we treasure determines where our lives go. It determines where our attention goes and where our energies go. It determines how we navigate our relationships and how we navigate our sense of vocation and occupation in the world. Jesus is saying, the thing that you hold in the treasure chest in your heart matters most because it's the thing that ultimately you trust in life. So is it your athletic prowess? Is it your wealth and financial security? Is it your professional ability and success in your career? Is it how well liked you are? Is it having a house full of people and a family, knowing that if they'll love you, then you're okay? We have all sorts of things that we keep at the very center of our treasure chest. And it's not that those things are wrong and bad. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's not saying get rid of all of this or stay away from all of this. He's just saying that when it becomes the ultimate thing, you have a problem. When you trust in it more than you trust in God, that's when you start to experience all of the anxiety and the worry and the chasing after and the toiling and all of the energy spent on these treasure hunts trying to make sure that you have enough so that your life's okay, so that you can trust that your life is okay. So he ends and he says, so don't worry. What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? He says, for all of the people who don't live under God's rules, the pagans, they chase after all of this stuff. But your heavenly father knows what you need. And he says, instead, trust God and seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all of these things will be added to you. Now, what he's not saying is if you trust first God and his kingdom and pursuing righteousness, you'll get all of the other treasures that you hope for. That's not what he's saying. It's not a first this and then you'll get all of the rest of it. 
He's saying the things that you long for, that sense of security, that ultimate security in your life, to know that you're okay and it's going to be okay. He says that comes when you pursue God's kingdom and God's righteousness. And so, kind of the last question for us is what does that look like? What does that mean? And I think the first thing is evaluating what's in here. What you got in here? What do you treasure most? What are you trusting most? And how can you begin to replace it with trusting God? How can you begin to look for ways that God is at work at the world and you start to participate in those things? Because that's what it means to live into the kingdom, to participate in God's kingdom, to live and pursue righteousness. How can you start to orient your life towards putting God first and trusting that all of the other consequences of that, despite those things, you'll be okay? You may lose relationships, you'll be okay. You may not climb as high on the corporate ladder, you'll be okay. You may lose playing time when you prioritize something over practice, you'll be okay. God's saying, just trust me. The life of meaning and the fulfillment and that sense of security that you were desperately searching after on this treasure hunt. It only comes from one place. And that comes from putting God in here. And then living your life as a result of it. And I don't know how you do that and it not overflow as generosity in your life. Not just financial, because we know people who have done this. There are people who have attended this church or exist in your life, who have lived the most beautiful, generous, incredible life because they had the right thing in their treasure chest and their lives flowed out because of it. This is what's available to all of us, but it starts with the choice of what you're going to treasure most. And so I'm going to pray for us this morning that we evaluate and then we make any substitutions and replacements as necessary and then we begin to walk and trust that God's got us and that there's a better life ahead for us friends let's pray heavenly father we come to you knowing that you are the source of all of the truly good things in our life. God, letting go of what we have held on to, of what we've treasured, is hard. It feels vulnerable and risky, and it's a place of deep insecurity. Letting go of patterns that we have held for years, if not decades. And so God, help us to trust you in greater measure. Help us to put you in the center of our hearts and to live our lives in pursuit of you and your kingdom, knowing that it is the path to life in the fullest sense. We pray this in your name. Amen.